This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. Let's start off by thanking our Patreon contributors. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And this week we had Chuck, Aaron, Olivia, Mira, Nicole, Bill. And Bill has in parentheses dub bears. Oh. <laughs> Bill's, from, Bill's from Chicago. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Sarah, Rashea, Anthony, Emily, Claire, Bethan, Aaron, Tracy, Diana, Megan, Faith, Jordan, Lisa, Harry, Casey, Nicola, Samantha, Nikki, Angela, and Holly. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. All right, Desi. This is going to be a two-parter. Okay. Because this guy's got a wild story. It's Juicy July. (laughs) It's Juicy July. That's right. So we are going to be talking about Bobby Womack. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. We've been talking about doing this episode probably since we did the Sam Cooke episode. Yes. He makes a brief appearance. Brief but memorable. Yes. Uh, And and (laughs) look, I have been a fan of... Bobby Womack's music for a very long time. Same. I knew next to nothing about his life story. When I saw the story about him in the Sam Cookbook, uh, cookbook, <laughs> I was like, is that the same Bobby Womack? <laughs> I was like, I've never heard any of this. Like, it was shocking to me that someone else famous would be like, just like these like wild shit happening with these famous musicians was crazy like yeah so like while they were really famous too it wasn't like before or something no he had some scandals and we're going to talk about them we're also going to talk about his career and you know in general his life story his music all that stuff in the next in the next two weeks so for this episode my main source was bobby womack's own memoir called my story 1944 to 2014. So let's get started. Bobby Womack was born Robert Dwayne Womack on March 4th, 1944 in Cleveland, Ohio to mother Naomi and father Friendly. Both of his parents came from large families. Friendly had seven brothers and eight sisters, and this was a musical family. Friendly and his brothers sang gospel. Bobby's parents got married when they were both teens and went on to have five boys, Bobby being the third. Their father hoped that they would have his passion for music as well. Now, the Womacks lived in a tiny one-bedroom house on 63rd and Central. Bobby and his siblings grew up very poor. 
He recalls dumpster diving for food behind grocery stores, and on days when the family just couldn't get anything to eat, Friendly told his sons that they were fasting for God so that they wouldn't feel bad. Yeah. They had no food. The family was so poor that by the time Christmas rolled around, Friendly Womack told his kids, look, I'm Santa Claus. I made this happen. Yeah. Like, it's like, I want credit here. I want some credit here. So not only did the family experience poverty, but they experienced racism as well. They were not able to venture outside of their neighborhood into what was designated the white side of town. The racism came from residents and the cops alike. When Bobby was just eight years old, a policeman assaulted him in a park because he perceived him to be talking back to him. He was not talking back. Yeah. Friendly Womack worked in the steel mill, but continued singing, forming gospel group called Voices of Love. The men in the group would come over to the Womack house and rehearse. The Womack boys used to stand around in a circle and mockingly imitate the old men <gasps> that would come over. <laughs> That's probably funny. You can just picture it, these kids like, you know, making Gospel, fun of especially. Yeah, making fun yeah. of the sound of their dad and his pal's voices. I love that the dad's name is Friendly. Oh yeah. And <laughs> and one of Bobby's siblings was the name Friendly Junior. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so this kind of like mocking them almost it had the opposite effect because Friendly saw that like, oh, they're making fun of us, but they can actually sing. Right. The boys, not wanting to upset their dad and get a spanking, agreed that they would start singing gospel. The kids, of course, liked blues music better. When Friendly got a guitar, the boys would sneak off to play it, even though they were forbidden from touching it. This was very expensive. Yeah. This was like a big deal. Friendly also cut hair for people in the neighborhood. Okay. So he made a deal with someone, like, I'll give you four haircuts for that guitar. Yes. So this was like a very nice item in their house. Friendly was like, don't fucking touch my guitar. Yeah. Don't break it. But Bobby learned that he had a knack for the guitar and he became obsessed with learning new chords and honing his skills. When Friendly realized the level of his son's talent, he focused on forming a group. The boys were known as the Womack Brothers and they performed at church on Sundays and at religious functions. Bobby met Sam Cook in 1953 when he was nine and <sighs> Sam was 22. At the time, Sam was touring with his gospel group, the Soul Stirrers. The Soul Stirrers used to pack the churches, and it wasn't just the Lord that the audience was praising. These guys were hot. Yeah. Especially Sam. Yeah. So the women would come pack into these churches. They're like, I just love the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we just, they were like, we just love Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they were the church was like, wow, we're really wow. selling out these shows. Yeah. So Friendly asked the group if his boys could open for the Soul Stirrers, and Sam said yes. The Womack brothers performed for a gigantic crowd. This was a really big deal. Bobby said that when they were singing the song, Jesus Gave Me Water, one of his younger brothers hollered out, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> It was fine until he started singing about water. <laughs> right. And then he proceeded to pee all over himself. Oh my gosh. And that was like their first big gig. And then that became their gimmick. <laughs> that one of them's a pisser. 
What if that was your gimmick in your band? <laughs> that you at the end of every show you you're so into it you piss yourself. <laughs> Like your encore is Jesus gave me water and everyone knows that that's your encore. Yeah, and they're and waiting for it. Then they go, encore, encore, encore. And then they come out and everyone's cheering and they start singing Jesus gave me water and then the piss just starts going. Oh, man. That's a show. That is a show. Letting it all out. <laughs> the Womack brothers next set off on their own tour throughout the Midwest on the gospel circuit. And guess who they toured with? The Staple Singers. Ooh. They're getting good gigs. Yeah. I mean, there's all these like iconic groups. Yeah. And these are kids at this point. They're still little kids. And the Staple Singers, of course, uh, you know, that's a family band Mm -hmm. as well. The following year, a record company came calling and the Womack Brothers recorded two tracks. This was their first departure from gospel music, which Friendly was initially against. But the record company scammed the brothers, paying them $300 and then stealing their tracks and (gasps) putting them out under a different name. Oh, my God. Yeah. But the brothers continued to tour and were making a little bit of money to support their family. Bobby had his first sexual experience when he was just 12 years old. It was with a 32-year-old woman. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I don't even want to call this... That they were having sex. I'm just going to say she was molesting him. Right. Because that's really what it was in, until he was 16. Oh, they did this for a while. They This continued for the next four years. I mean, and at, and at the age of 12, this is not a mistaken, <laughs> I thought they were 18. That's a very young boy. Like, he's young. No, this was a neighborhood woman. Oh, so she really knew. Her husband was the local bus driver. Oh, shit. So, like... She knew Bobby was his age. Yes. And plus he's 12. He looks 12. Right. I mean, not that I'm excusing it if you're confused. Right. At least you have a little bit of leeway. Like, oh, they said they were 18 (laughs) if they're 17. But at 12, that's just not mistaken. Like, yeah, it's it's bad all around. Damn. And, And so this is his first and only sexual experience during this time. So he's like straight up with her. Yeah. For four years. Yeah. That's so sick. It's really sick. He was convinced that they were in love and like, oh, we're going to get married. That's like even more horrible. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good. It wasn't until Bobby was older that he realized just how fucked up the situation was. Oh, Like it would be many years later. He'd be like, yes, damn, that was. He's like, after I've already taken it out of the people. Right. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Bobby wanted to move away from gospel music. He was really inspired by Sam Cooke's rock and roll stylings and the crossover appeal that his group had. Friendly, though, was still adamant that they all serve the Lord. Bobby was a teenager when Sam broke off from the Soulsters and released his hit record, You Send Me, in 1957. Bobby wanted that kind of success for himself. In 1961, the Womack brothers signed to Sam's record label, Sar Records, and they recorded some gospel tracks in Detroit. But the gospel tracks went nowhere, and Sam said, look, let's do something a little different. So the boys released Looking for a Love in 1962 under their new band name, The Valentinos. And guess what? It was a big hit. They sold two million records. (gasps) Damn. That's pretty good. Yeah. By this time, Bobby dropped out of school to pursue music full-time. 
His younger brothers also quit school. His older brothers had graduated by this point. Bobby said that it felt good proving his teacher, Mr. Washington, wrong. He said that, quote, he wouldn't amount to jack shit. (laughs) I bet that felt good. Yeah, it's got to. I love it. When a teacher directly says that to you and then you do amount to jack shit. Yeah. So now the boys were headed to Los Angeles and he's like, look at us now. Wait, how many boys are in the band? There's five brothers. So all five of them are in the band. All five of them are in the band. Despite the boys' success, as far as their father was concerned, this was the devil's music. Wait, I think the youngest one wasn't in the band. Okay. Okay. But like it's basically all of them. Right. Despite the boys' success, as far as their father was concerned, this was the devil's music, and he didn't want to be a part of it or their money, so he cut them loose. He's like, I don't want to be... If you guys are going to be doing rock and roll... Yeah. I don't want that or any of your money. Well, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at that time, it wasn't like real money. Yes. It wasn't there yet, so we'll see what happens. The boys piled into a busted Cadillac with their cousin Henry and drove to L.A., it took them two weeks to get there because this car kept breaking down. Oh, man. I mean, it was a disaster of a road trip. I hate I hate that. Have you ever been on a long trip where the car keeps breaking down and it's uh, like you don't really know to keep going or like what to do? Well, when I was on that RV trip oh, right. across the country, the RV, well, <laughs> first the fridge broke. Oh, God. That was the first sign. Yeah. So, the, so the whole thing place smelled like rotted ass and then uh the septic tank something bad happened i don't want anything happening with the septic tank (laughs) (laughs) then there was one point where uh one of my friends was driving it and they slammed into like a pole or something oh my god and this was a rented rv and like it took the whole like the whole fucking mirror side mirror like came clean off We had fun, though. Yeah. It's stressful, though. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But this this was definitely a disaster trip. They eventually got to L.A. and Sam was, like, freaking out. Like, you guys were supposed to be here, like... Yeah, I was two supposed, weeks is long. It was supposed to take you three days. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? And Friendly, of course, was back in Cleveland. Like, Sam, did you kidnap my boys? Like, yeah. what the fuck? So they did get there. They made it there in one piece, and Sam put the boys up in the Dunbar Hotel in South Central, where they would live for the next year. One day, Bobby was in Hollywood, and he saw some guys standing around outside of a recording studio, and he's like, took his guitar, and he went in there, acted like he was like, oh, I belong here. Oh. It was a Dean Martin recording (gasps) session. (laughs) (laughs) So Bobby just was like, Acting like he was a session player in this, like fake it till you make it. (laughs) (laughs) And he's playing. And look, Bobby was a very good guitar player. He was still very young. You know, he's like, he's not even 20 yet. Yeah. He's like 18. But he was doing stuff that was like a little too funky, like not at, not what they asked for. And like, he was sort of like doing some off the wall shit. Yeah, he wasn't like a, a session musician will usually cater themselves to the recording and not do their own thing. That's exactly yeah. right. So so all of a sudden, like halfway through this session, they're like, who is this guy? <laughs> Who's do- 
We're, it's that's amore. We don't want this funky shit <laughs> happening. Although I would love to hear a funky version of, of that song. Oh, well, I would love it. But people didn't know what they were doing back then. <laughs> no, people didn't know, know what they liked then. So the other musicians noticed that this kid clearly didn't belong. And they're like, hey, who is this kid? Yeah, and Bobby, Bobby was so embarrassed. Really? He ran out of there. And Aww. he's like, oh, my God. I mean, what did he think was going <laughs> Happen. I don't know. He, he got away with it. That's pretty great. Right. I, I like that he did like five songs before they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> in 1962, Sam enlisted James Brown to whip the Womack boys into shape Uh-oh. ahead of their next tour. <laughs> no, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> Look, I told Desi, we got to do a James Brown episode. Yeah. That's coming. And there's a, I never saw it, but there's a really good movie about him with Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, I never saw that either. I didn't see it, but I've heard it's pretty good. Bobby described this as a musical boot camp. And James Brown was the drill sergeant. He's strict. He was going to get these, whip these boys into shape and get them to become stars and real performers. So they went to Harlem to perform at the Apollo on a bill that included James Brown, among others. Sam sent the boys off to New York with $75 in cash for spending money before their gig started. When they arrived at the hotel, Bobby immediately noticed the sex worker who was standing out front, and he walked up to her and was like, hey. And his brothers were like, Bobby, we need that money for food. And Bobby was like, shut up. I know what I'm doing. I need need this. This is food. (laughs) And they're like, no. That's Bobby, we're starving. La- <laughs> That's supposed to last us <laughs> until we get paid. Oh, my God. So this was an older woman. According to Bobby, she was in her late 30s. And he propositioned her, and she at first told him no. But when he told her how much money he had on him, she was like, eh, okay. He said, how about for $50, you do me and all my brothers? Ugh. And then he said, and I want to go last. <laughs> I don't know why he made it such a big point that he wanted to go last. Wouldn't, I mean, just in theory, wouldn't you want to go first? Right. (laughs) I don't want to go and all my brothers come. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like all full of my brothers. (laughs) (laughs) So it went down exactly like that. And of course, none of the brothers lasted very long. One of them just got a hand job. I think a few of them just got hand jobs, okay. but everyone lasted about two minutes tops. So she's like, this is the best, <laughs> easiest money I've ever made. I think it was very easy money for her. And yeah, Bobby didn't last long either. This was his second sexual... Right. What, you know, and he probably hadn't had one in a while. Not since that yeah. older woman. So Bobby and the boys we're damn proud of themselves. They're like, yeah, that was worth it. We'll be hungry, but that was worth it. That was until a few days later when it started to hurt to pee. Oh, no. (laughs) Not only that, uh, but his younger brother, Cecil, said, he's like, is it weird that I can't, I'm still coming? (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) And that wasn't come, Desi. It was like discharge yes, or something? Yes, it was pus. He's like, why am I still coming? Jesus. <laughs> Cecil, this is a direct quote from Cecil. He said to his brothers, I don't know what kind of pussy that white woman had, but it must be dangerous. Dangerous pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Diamond level dangerous. There it is. 
Oh, what did she give them? The clap. Okay. So Solomon Burke was on tour with them, and he pointed the boys in the direction of a clinic to get treatment. So they went to this clinic, and they got treated, and the next night they were still recovering and in a lot of pain. I didn't realize the clap started up so fast after getting it. Like, it seems well, pretty fast. Well, it was fast. a few days later. That's pretty fast, though, no? To get symptoms of something? I don't know. Is it? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know how it works. Look, I've, never, I've never had the clap. I've never had the clap either. So uh, they were still recovering. They're still in pain, and they have to go on stage. I'm sorry. I still can't get past I'm still coming. <laughs> Isn't that, that disgusting? Is, that is so disgusting. Look, this book is very juicy. Oh, my he God. He does not hold back. That's like making me faint. Like, <laughs> just the idea that you would think that. So they have to perform, and... They were in so much pain, like their dicks all hurt so bad that they didn't dance at all. They oh. just sat down at the edge of the stage and sang we for their keep whole it intimate. <laughs> <laughs> right, like even for their fast songs, they just sat. Oh my they God. sat down the whole time. Meanwhile, James Brown is in the wings fucking fuming. Oh. Because he's like... Well, that guy dances. He's I like, mean. I told you boys to fucking perform. Like, what the oh, fuck? Oh, shit. So... When they got up, when when they were done performing, James Brown said, "I don't know what the matter is. I don't know what the matter is with those boys, but they're the laziest bunch of motherfuckers I've ever seen in my life." Holy shit! And you, Sam, one of the things that Sam had said to Bobby and his brothers before they left was, "Don't fuck with James Brown." And James Brown, even with the clap, probably gives it his all. Like, that's not even an excuse for him. He's it's like, a professional. You fucking dance. Like, right. I you, don't care if you're in pain. You, you, put, <laughs> you put the dick pain into your act. Yeah. You, you dance you, around the... You, 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 use make, that. you use the dick pain as motivation to yeah, dance. Yeah, you have to, like, focus that energy. All those kicks? He's kicking away that dick pain. Seriously. You think James Brown that stopped him? No. No. Okay. So... James Brown was the king of soul, and you don't make him look bad. He had no problem telling the Womack boys as they exited the stage at any point in time, like, that's a piece of shit song. Yeah. Like, you need to do a different song. Like, he was very direct. But James instilled discipline in Bobby. He inspired him to strive for excellence in his performances. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That same year, in 1962, Bobby joined Sam's band, and they recorded Twisting the Night Away together. Oh. They went on a tour together as well. Sam was, uh, Bobby was 18, and he was the youngest one on that tour. And he recalled being really frustrated because he was not able to get girls because of how young he was. So is he sort of without his brothers on this tour? Yes. It's okay. just Bobby playing guitar. I see. So he's like a band member. He's a band member in Sam's band. And Sam, of course, as we said, he's a very hot man. Very. He's all the women want him. He has girls constantly. Go, right. li- go listen to our Sam Cook episode. Uh, we he's talk- hot. He's a very hot guy. And he and everyone else in the band is getting chicks. And Bobby's like this little 18-year-old boy. No one right. wants to fuck the 18-year-old guitar player. And this... He's probably got no game yet, too, right? He like, has zero game, and he's trying to get game. So he's talking to Sam Cook about how to get game. And Sam is like, you know, you, Sam drank martinis. And Bobby's was like, okay, I'm going to drink martinis. Okay. That's, that's what adults do. <laughs> so one night in an attempt to appear more adult, Bobby drank martinis all night long, Ugh. trying to impress this girl at a club in Atlantic City. And Sam and the rest of the band were laughing their asses off as this girl had to basically carry Bobby to bed because he was so drunk. Now, she literally carried him to bed to put him to sleep. Mm. Like, she wasn't carrying him to fuck him. She yeah. was like, oh, poor, poor baby. Poor little baby. Yeah. <laughs> Not what he wanted. And Sam and the other guys are just losing it. Like, oh my God, look at this little kid. He can't handle it. But eventually on the tour, Bobby met this woman named Betty, who was sort of a groupie. She followed the tour around. And she was a woman who'd been trying to fuck Cliff White, who was another guitar player. But it just wasn't happening. Her and Bobby were sitting around moping together about not getting any action. She said to Bobby, quote, We both got our problems. You're too young and I'm too fat. Then she said, everyone else is off having a good time. Why can't we? And then Bobby says, then she turned to me, pushed her tits into my face and asked, you want some of this? (laughs) Yeah, I gasped, burying my face in her rack. (laughs) I think that's really sweet. The two little misfits. She's a smart groupie. Yeah. She's like, like, get the weakest member of the band. (laughs) 
and then you're in. Exactly. And he lo- he said, he's like, I'm very grateful for this woman. Right. And he was a small guy and she was a very large woman. And he's like, that was fucking, he's we like, had a good yeah, time. He has an R. Crumb thing. Yeah. He was like, you know, she really took control of nice. the situation. It sounds hot. So they went to the hotel room and started fucking. And Betty, when Betty came, Bobby learned that she was a squirter. Ooh. She, and her, <laughs> her, Bobby said that her squirt was so powerful that it pushed him off the bed. It's like a tidal wave. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. But he was like, Wow. That's probably very exciting for a young boy, <laughs> a young man. Yeah. So Sam and Bobby and the band continued their tour in 1963, spending a lot of time in the South where it was segregated. Bobby said, quote, I learned a lot about America on that trip, about race and rights, who had them, and more importantly, who didn't. We didn't. It didn't matter that Sam was a big star in the, in the South that didn't cut any ice. He was black. When they returned to L.A. after the tour, Sam played Bobby his new song, A Change Is Gonna Come. Sam became like an older brother to Bobby, so they became very close. He was a friend and a mentor. In 1964, the Valentinos released their single, It's All Over Now. Bobby said he wrote the song after being inspired by his uncle Wes's tumultuous relationship with his wife. Now, this song is straight rock and roll. I don't know if you've heard this song before. You've probably heard other versions of it. And while it wasn't a big hit for the Valentinos, it would go on to be a big hit for an up-and-coming band called the Rolling Stones. Now, Bobby was initially opposed to this random band from the UK covering the Valentinos song. Right. But Sam Cooke convinced, was convinced that these guys were going to be huge. He's oh. like, you want them covering your song. He told Bobby, quote... Bobby, they ain't got a whole lot of talent. The singer can't sing. They play off key, but there ain't nobody like them. Now, the Rolling Stones, like a lot of white artists at this time, got a lot of their songs and their music in general from black artists. They built entire careers off of it. The Rolling Stones' early stuff is mostly covers by black artists. Fortunately for Bobby, the first royalty check that he got from letting the Stones use his song was pretty big, and, yeah. he, and he was okay with that. In December of 1964, Sam let Bobby know that he was through with touring. He had been asked by Sammy Davis Jr. to join him in Las Vegas. The money was just better, and it was just a better gig all around. So this was bad news for Bobby, because now he was out of a job as Sam Cooke's guitar player. Right. He was pretty devastated. Sam told him, look, you need to focus on making it happen with the Valentinos because you guys could really be big. Bobby left Sam's house that night not knowing that it would be the last time he'd ever see him. A week later, when he was in Houston with his brothers on tour, he was woken up in the middle of the night to terrible news. Sam had been killed. Now, Bobby was absolutely heartbroken over this news, He said it felt like losing his mom and his dad at the same time. Quote, he had a huge influence on me. I knew it. I admired him. I know I wouldn't have gone through all the drugs and booze if he had been alive because I promised him. I told him I would never run astray and I would have stayed that way if he'd lived. 
After Sam's death, Bobby started hanging around Sam's widow, Barbara, a lot more. He noticed that she had a new guy that she was seeing, who Bobby thought was she was way too good for. He knew that Sam and Barbara's relationship was not great. Sam regularly stepped out on Barbara, but he was just like, I guess, you know, that's just Sam. Yeah. But he was sort of protective of Barbara, like, oh, this guy. Yes. You, you shouldn't be with this loser guy. Bobby went over to Barbara's place and saw that her new boyfriend, Al, was wearing one of Sam's rings, and this infuriated him. Bobby was like, you better leave. And Barbara was like, damn, Mm, (laughs) wow. And she said, well, you heard the man, you better go. And Bobby said to Barbara, he had no place here. And Barbara replied, well, you got to take his place now. Ooh. A few days later, Barbara invited Bobby over to her house because she needed help playing Tam's, Sam's tape machine. He came over that evening, and two of her friends were there, a couple. They all had drinks and hung out for a while until Bobby saw Barbara give her friend a look, and then suddenly her friend was like, whoa, we're tired. Gotta go. I guess we should be going. And Bobby said that he was about to leave with them, but that Barbara stopped him. And said, hey, Bobby, I still need your help with that tape player. So Oldest excuse in the book. (laughs) Right? So they went into the office, and Bobby starts messing around with the buttons on the machine when he turned around, and there was Barbara standing before him in a sexy red robe. Ooh. Then they started kissing. Bobby said he was so nervous, he was still calling her Miss Cook. And that's when she said, call me Barbara. (laughs) Call me Barbara. Honestly, look, and of course, this is just Bobby Womack's account of this situation. This this does (laughs) sound very boy fantasy to me. It does sound like a porn almost. Like, yes, (laughs) ma'am. Like, you know what I mean? Right. um, I mean, I do remember from the Sam Cooke research, their relationship was very bad at the end because yes. they had a young child who had drowned. And I think that was sort of the start of their um, just being distant from one another besides the fact that he was cheating all the time. Yes. So it kind of makes sense that when he died, obviously I'm sure she was sad, but there was an aspect of her that had already moved on from him probably. So she was kind of ready to move on probably. Yeah. I mean... I think a lot of it makes sense. It's also considering the fact that she was grieving too, and grief can make people do things they might not normally do. I don't think I also, when I wrote that, I didn't realize how much younger he was or how young he was still. He was. Do you know what I mean? This isn't like one of Sam's peers, the same age, who then took his wife or went with his wife afterwards. It's like a completely different situation and relationship yeah he was a protege bobby at this point is 20 and barbara's 30 yeah so he is much younger i mean look a 30 year old woman dating a 20 year old guy like the you know 10 years difference isn't that big of an age difference that's huge at that age but that age it can be very stark right in contrast uh because when you're 20 i mean a lot happens between 20 and 30 it, it, it really does yeah So then after she said, call me Barbara, they went to the bedroom and fucked. 
And Bobby says that afterwards, Barbara told him, I want you to come back every day. Like I said before, at this time, Bobby is 20 years old and Barbara was 30. Their relationship was hot and heavy and moving very fast. Soon they started talking about getting married, like very soon. Yeah. In February of 1965, Jet Magazine wrote, quote, Less than 60 days after she shed tears of bereavement over the body of her husband in Chicago and Los Angeles, the widow of singer Sam Cook, 29-year-old Barbara Cook, finally acknowledged in Los Angeles that later this month, she will marry one of her husband's friends, Bobby Womack, 20. Now, didn't he go to the funeral in, in Sam Cook's clothes? That's a rumor. That's a rumor? That's not true. He did not get the clothes until... After they started fighting. I see. So <laughs> it has been said that he possibly wore one of Sam's suits to the wedding, to their wedding. Oh, okay. Uh, but he did not wear Sam's clothes to the funeral. Okay. Because they hadn't started fucking at that point. Okay. But he did acquire Sam's stuff and Later. Sam's, he did acquire a lot of his suits. Okay. Now, the rumor mill about Bobby and Barbara had already been buzzing all around town because they were seen together and people were like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is going on? Just the fact that it was so soon after Sam's death had everyone talking. When they went to apply for the marriage license, they were denied because Bobby was too young. (gasps) You had to be 21 or else you needed parental consent. Really? And Bobby refused to get his parents' consent. He was like, I already know what they're going to (laughs) say. And so he also thought that he, this makes me feel like a child. I'm not a child, I'm a man. Uh, So instead, Bobby just waited a week till he turned 21 because his birthday's in March. Oh, that wasn't too bad. (laughs) It wasn't too bad for him. And so in March of 1965, Bobby Womack and Barbara Cook got married. They made the cover of Jet Magazine for March. Barbara told Jet, quote, I feel that Sam would certainly want me to do this. Sam and I, like other couples, sat down and discussed this, and his only desire was to see that the kids and I would be happy forever. Now, I don't know what they discussed, but I don't think they discussed specifically (laughs) that it would be okay for her to fuck Bobby Womack. Yeah, I doubt that that was on his agenda that day. (laughs) I I don't doubt that. I do know their marriage was virtually over by the time he died. Uh, and I think that's one thing people not know didn't know that, so it seemed more shocking. I mean, well, it's still shocking. It's still shocking. But it's like it's a little less shocking when you know their marriage was almost over. It wasn't like she's like, now that he's dead, the love of my life, I'm fucking this new guy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like they still should have probably kept it low key. Yeah. Uh, just because people are going to talk. Of I course. Mean, come on. Yeah, and and he is like he also was like a. It wasn't really a son to Sam Cooke, but he was like a younger brother. Yes, and the age difference is a bigger deal back then between a woman and a, a tw- like a twenty year old guy. Yeah, like lo- that's a more uncommon thing back then, and it probably seems more scandalous and made it, it accentuated that relationship he had with Sam. Well, I think. a lot of people did give them grief over that too. Yeah, that he was younger, that he was so much younger, and she was an older woman, and right. And there's all the stereotypes of her probably being like a predatory, whatever (laughs) cougar type. Yeah, even though she's still 29, (laughs) like she's so young. Yeah, Bobby, 
was now stepfather to Barbara and Sam's kids, 11-year-old Linda and 4-year-old Tracy. Basically, Bobby and Barbara were the only people that were happy about them being married. Yeah. No one was happy about this. No one gave them their blessing. Haters. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else, including friends and family of Bobby, were like, what the? This is gross. Yeah. And no one was afraid to say it either. No. Uh, The public opinion of Bobby Womack at this point was in the shitter. Yeah. I mean, that's like pretty salacious for like a celebrity scandal back then, I think. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I it's mean, like the Gloria Graham one we talked about, where she started basically fucking her stepson at some point. <laughs> like, it was just kind of like, what? Yeah. And they got married or something. It was like, that's too much, like, scandal. Right. So it was very scandalous. Uh, Bobby said him and Barbara went to go see their friend Nancy Wilson perform. Now, this is not Nancy Wilson of Heart. No, it's this a is the jazz singer. jazz singer Nancy Wilson. <laughs> They go to her show, and she starts giving shout-outs to all her friends that are in the audience. And she said, Barbara Cook is here. And everybody cheered and applauded. And then she said, and her man, Bobby Womack. And then everyone started booing. (gasps) It's not his fault. (laughs) Well, it's both of them. Yeah, but why is she getting cheers and he's not? (laughs) Maybe the most furious of everyone was Sam's family members. Bobby said that Sam's brother, Charlie, was like, I better not see you in Chicago. Ooh. Like, they were fucking pissed. Yeah. Uh, And Bobby knew Charlie was a tough guy who loved his brother more than anything. Like, he would fucking fight someone or kill someone for, for Sam. But that didn't stop Bobby from going to Chicago with Barbara to confront him. It's funny because uh, I remember reading this when I did the Sam Cook, and I was like, "Oh, this is their own. This is its own episode. <laughs> like, I'm not going to get into too much details about this because I quickly realized that Bobby Womack was like his own episode because it's crazy story. Like, and it gets crazier. Yeah, it, yeah. Get, it gets more out of control for sure. So. <laughs> Bobby and Barbara, they show up in Chicago. They checked into a motel, and Barbara was pretty scared. She starts sitting on the bed. She's loading bullets into a pistol just in case this this confrontation goes south. Bobby called up Charlie and was like, well, I'm here. I'm I'm at this motel. Come on down. Let's, Let's fucking talk. And when Charlie arrived, he showed up with his two other brothers, David and LC. And Charlie said to Bobby, oh man, you showed up. You got a lot of nerve, haven't you? You little fucker. (laughs) Now, for some reason, unbeknownst to, like, I don't know why he did this, Bobby decided it was a good idea to reach out for a handshake. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's 20. He's a fucking idiot. He reached out to shake Charlie's hand, But Charlie immediately socked him in the face. Oh, shit. Then his brothers started wailing on him. Oh, damn. Bobby was getting the shit beat out of him. Barbara was freaking out, screaming, and she reached for the gun and pulled the trigger, but it clicked. 
Bobby had taken the bullets out when she had gone to the bathroom. So Barbara's pissed. She's like, what the fuck? Like, you idiot. I mean, I don't know what she thought. She's going to kill Sam's brother now. Right. Like, this is not, it was probably a very good idea that he did that. Charlie then started beating on Barbara as well. This was, this was a bad scene. So another guest at the motel was like banging on the door, like, what the fuck's going on in there? And he called the cops. Oh, this is in a ho- small hotel room. It's <laughs> For some a- reason, I thought it was outside or something. No, it's in a motel room. Oh, my God. Charlie, upon realizing the cops were coming, went to make a run for it, but he ran face first into the door. Oh, my God. And he, like, got hurt. Yeah. So, but Bobby obviously was, like, actually the most hurt he was lying on the ground when the cops arrived he had a broken jaw <gasps> Shit. not to mention that he's his face was all bloody charlie was arrested and taken to jail but bobby didn't press charges and they let charlie go jet magazine reported on the incident but they said that a fight that the they believed the fight may have stemmed from a disagreement over royalties from sam's music okay but According to Bobby, yeah, he had gone there specifically to confront Charlie about like, hey, why why are you so mad at me? Yeah, just live, get over it. You know what? <laughs> if I was Bobby, I would have let it like the heat die down for for a, for a little while. Right. I would have maybe written a written a letter. Yeah. Let it die down. Send a don't fruit basket. To, you don't have to go to Chicago. You don't have to go to Chicago for this. No. At this time, Bobby Womack was persona non grata in the music industry. Damn. According to him, like DJs would throw his records in the trash when he'd bring wow. them. Like he'd be like, like, no one wanted to work with him or play his music at this point. He wasn't getting any work, so he was borrowing money from Barbara because of this. Right. And this is where we're going to stop because I couldn't launch into any of the next stuff because that's that's we're saving that for next week okay but there's a lot more to come oh yeah he's got a lot of (laughs) interesting stuff that happens okay and i'm very excited excited. to talk about it i'm excited to hear it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's bobby womack i knew he'd be a good episode (laughs) well we will post some great pictures on our instagram check those out okay uh we're going to record our after show. And put that up on Patreon. And that'll be up on our Patreon page at the $5 tier. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Other than that, we will see you all on Friday. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.